Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 50. And the last time we came together to do Isaiah, the message was titled, God Never Forsakes Us. God Never Forsakes Us. So as you could imagine, if you didn't get it, just get it for free online or we'll give you a CD. But basically, I mean, there's just so much encouragement in that. Just by the title alone, you can tell. And people come into the church sometimes downcast or struggling with some type of emotional issues and they read the word and it picks them up. It is the living word, right? Today... The message of the, uh, the title's message is going to be always trustworthy. And God is always trustworthy. And we're going to see how uh, through the Old Testament, God was on this journey with his people. And he was able to get them to a place where he could deliver them out of the Babylonian kingdom. And if you look at, you go online or you get your encyclopedia, you can find all this stuff that's in the scripture is backed up by history. Uh, and there was this amazing thing that if somebody is secular and they don't know God, they look back at history and go, well, how, how did the Persians uh, have so much favor on the Jews and send them back to Jerusalem and give them money and give them a, an escort, like a police escort? And it was pretty impressive uh, to read in, in just basic history. But when you read the scripture, you understand the things that happen behind the scenes, the spiritual aspect to it. And we're going, going to a, a portion of scripture from now until the end of Isaiah, which is heavily laden with messianic scripture. So it's such a cool thing. Uh, centuries before Jesus came to the earth, the Bible spoke about the minutiae of how the Messiah would come, the incredible detail um, and, and there's so much to this. It's just very exciting. A friend of mine, one of my Jewish friends, we went through Isaiah together, and he had his Jewish Publication Society Bible. And I said, listen, this isn't a Christian contrivance. Look it up in your own scripture. And we went through it together, and he goes, I've never seen this before. I said, it's, it's good stuff, brother. I mean, this is all about the Messiah. So we're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in, chapter 50, it says... Now, this is God speaking through the prophet. Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Like questioning. For your iniquities, you have sold yourselves. I didn't do it. For your transgressions, your mother has been put away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, God says, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Now, these are rhetorical. They're also to get the people to think. And what I love about my God is he reasons with us. He doesn't say, memorize this and go over this a hundred times. That's religion. He says, I want a relationship with you. So there's times that we can be stubborn. There's times that the Israelites were stubborn. And he would ask these questions to stimulate their intellect and their reasoning skills to get the right picture of who God is. Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. 
Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. So one out of four is, you could say, disobedient Israel. You could say disenchanted. You could say disillusioned. Now, you've got to follow the metaphors. And I'm going to admit that this is difficult because you're like, what is he saying here? He's, he's talking to the Israelites, their mother. Like, wh- what's going on here? What you really have to do is triangulate, for those that are more advanced than the Scripture, you have to triangulate three Scriptures. We're in Isaiah 50. You also have to look at the Old Testament prophet Hosea, chapter 2, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, chapter 3. And when you put these all together, you understand the imagery, the metaphor. So let me go through them. Uh, God is speaking about himself as a father or a husband. He's speaking through the prophet to the Israelites as, as his children, right? Now, this is where it gets a little tricky. He's speaking about the Israelites about their mother or his wife represented as the nation of Israel and certainly Judah. Okay, so Israel was the north. After Solomon, it split up into the north and the south. So it was Israel, and in the south it was Judah. And God was saying figuratively or spiritually, God was married to the nation of Israel. Now, understand that (laughs) marriage is a contract, Actually, we have a young couple in the back that I'm going to be doing their wedding on Saturday, and I'm going to go through, (laughs) do you promise to be faithful? Do you promise? And it's not something we take lightly because we make an agreement with each other to be faithful, to love, good times and bad, in front of God as our witness. So in this picture, the nation was spiritually married to God, and they were supposed to worship God only. But what they started to do was commit what we would call spiritual adultery, where they started worshiping the gods of the pagans, which were no gods at all. Some of them were demon gods. And God warned them, there's going to be problems when you do this. It's going to break the agreement that we have. So in a sense, there was a a spiritual separation uh, from Israel and then Judah because they broke the covenant. Remember, I read to you Old Testament Jeremiah 31 a few Sundays back that Jeremiah, even in the Old Testament, said, God is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant with the Israelites or a new testament. So he's signaling the New Testament in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, If you have questions about that, I have Ruth back there always asks me hard questions. So feel free to (laughs) send me an email or write something down. And we want to make sure your questions get answered. But what did God do? Speaking to the individual Israelites, even though the nation had failed, the leadership had failed, the religious leadership had failed, he was telling every individual, I always have the door open for you. You could be a prodigal and I'll always take you back. As a matter of fact, in Hosea, which I mentioned, he literally, the prophet, had a wife who was unfaithful, right? She had committed adultery, literally, and she got so enwrapped with this uh, terrible sin that she ended up selling herself by default into slavery. And Hosea actually had to go and find her and buy her back and redeem her. God said, go find your wife and bring her back. So that was a picture of God always keeping the door open. That was a powerful image. You know, you think that, oh, the, the pastors and, and the prophets and everybody has a great life because they're representing God. We go through trials too. And Hosea had a big, big trial, but he was faithful to God. And there was metaphors that the, the children of Israel could understand. So what does God do here? If you read this, he's presenting the reason or the culpability for this tragic situation. Because when we're in sin, and, and I've done this, 
you know, you're not thinking straight and you start blaming everybody but yourself. So the nation ended up going into bondage into the Babylonian kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, conquering Jerusalem. Uh, So what happened was the Israelites now started to blame God, like he wasn't faithful. And God was saying to them, you put yourself here. Your sin got you taken away. I didn't do this to you. And even today, people need to look in the mirror once in a while. I mean, every time if something goes wrong, we're always blaming somebody else. Sometimes we need to look in the mirror because the person in the mirror is often the problem. And I can speak for myself in that situation. But they, they falsely blamed God and he was opening their eyes to the situation. little tough love in the scripture, right? We can also see um, God addressing their warped thinking. Again, somebody gets into uh, a heavy addiction. Somebody gets into adultery. Somebody gets into whatever. Their thinking starts to become warped. Because in their flesh, they start to feel good, but they're, they're going down a bad path, and, and they're hard to reason with. You find me anybody who's steeped in sin, and I will tell you that their thinking is off. That's just a fact of, of human uh, understanding, okay? So verse 2, God says that he called, but no one answered. God kept calling to the Israelites through the prophets, and some of the prophets were actually killed by the leadership in Israel. He's like, God, God's like, you know, Jesus spoke about this in the New Testament. Kept sending prophets. Sent the Son of God. You killed him too. Right? Again, when we're in sin, in this situation, it was an extreme situation. So God, he, he let it go and he let everything play itself out. And before you know it, they're in Babylon. They don't want to be there. But God says, can I deliver? I'm God. I could do anything. I can dry up waterways, you know. We see this in the plagues of Egypt. Right? The ten plagues of Egypt. Uh, God was put a lot of pressure on Egypt until Egypt would release the children of Israel, the exodus. But here, God is speaking about a second exodus that would come. Now, way in the the New Testament, we actually see in the book of Revelation, there are similar plagues there too. Uh, There's plagues of drying up the waterways, right? And I think the most tragic thing is when a person dies in their stubbornness against God. You know, I've had the, the good fortune to, listen, try to make the best out of a bad situation. Um, you know, just visit somebody who's on their deathbed. And, and what, what am I thinking? Like, I could say things to make them feel better. I sure, certainly want to do that. But I always have this overriding agenda. I have an agenda to see people get into heaven when they die. So I start to ask questions about where they are spiritually. Because they're on death's door. And I've had the good pleasure to lead people genuinely in a prayer of salvation on their deathbed. And then when they die, I'm like so happy that, not happy that they died, but I'm happy that they're going to, be, going to go to heaven. But on very rare occasions, there's some that have just stood in that stubbornness all the way to death, rolling the dice, taking the chance of what's going to happen when they die and meet God. Well, that's not a place that I want to be. Verse 3, he speaks about supernaturally blacking out the heavens. Now, we saw this in the the plagues of Egypt, right? Darkness was one of the plagues. When Jesus died on the cross, we saw that as well. It was in the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, darkness covered the land. We also see it in the Revelation judgment. So God sometimes has his signature judgments that end up repeating themselves. It's really not a good idea to, to taunt God 
to get him to incur his wrath. God is a God of love, but he's completely balanced. He's also a God of mercy and graciousness, but he's also a God of justice, right? He, has, he can have those, and that's a good, balanced God. You know, it's an amazing thing. But as God pleaded with their culture, I also believe that God is pleading with our culture as we read the scripture as well. We can read this and we can just go turn on the news, turn on the TV when we get out of here, and we can say, wow, I can see a lot of parallels with what I heard this morning in the sermon through Isaiah. So disobedient Israel, well, sometimes we're disobedient. But what we find in one sense is that when we're faithless, God is faithful. Israel was faithless at times. Some in the church are faithless at times. But God is faithful. When we're not trustworthy, God is trustworthy. Romans 5 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And when Christ came, it was probably one of the worst times in human history. But he died for the sins of humanity. So where sin abounded, it abounded a lot. It's abounding a lot in our culture. There's also grace out there. There's the truth. It's knowable, right? We can find it. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be ministered to? What are we turning to in life? What are we putting our faith in? Our bank accounts? Stock markets? My dad used to watch TV. Up, down, up. I'm like, that would drive me nuts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But what are we putting our faith in? If we put our faith in Christ, if we put our faith in God, we're promised eternal life. Continuing on, verse 4, it says, The Lord God, now remember, these are messianic scriptures, right? You can read Isaiah all the way to Isaiah 66, go through history, I call secular history, but, you know, just history, right? Objective history about Jesus Christ. And as we read this, you can see the parallels. Impossible to make up. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Now, think about Christ in the first century. That I should know how to speak a word in season to, whom, to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. So two out of four this morning is the contrast with the obedient Messiah. Speaking about so many things, minutiae, uh, little details, centuries before he came to the earth. So verse 4, Jesus is speaking about himself after the incarnation, after the Son of God takes the form of man and he is on the earth. Right? He spoke of the tongue of the learned. If you read the Gospels, even if you read extra-biblical works, if you read Roman history, if you read Josephus, if you read any of these, you know, good history. History is history, right? You'll find that he, he frustrated the government. They didn't understand how he could have so much power. He frustrated the religious system at the time. He had the tongue of the learned. He had the wisdom of God. And, and it's, it's almost like, and you can see the debate between the different factions, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, almost as if they were saying, well, Jesus, what school did you go to? You're young. You know, did you go to the school of Rabbi Hillel? Did you go to the school of Rabbi Gamaliel? Did you go to school uh, under Rabbi Shammai? And, and he would frustrate them because everything he said was perfect. And they were so learned. You know, they say, how is this guy... 
and, and, he, and, and he's gathering a crowd and we're losing members and, because they were hypocritical. Listen, I, gotta, I just feel like I need to say this. Going to, you know, a, a lot of parents, even Christian parents, their only, their biggest concern is that their kids go to a college and go to get a good degree. And there's wisdom in that. But sometimes the, that's an overfocus. You know, for me personally, I have a 19-year-old. I want to know that when he dies, he's going to the same place as me. I don't care if he's, whatever he does, wants to work with his hands, wants to go to school. The bottom line is I want to know that he's saved. And sometimes Christians can get off the topic and start doing what the world does. And that's not what we're called to do, folks. We're called to focus on what's important, eternity. And certainly our kids are one of the most precious things to us. That should be our concern. Are we praying for our kids? Are we, are we setting an example in the home that God is first in this family? It's not always easy. Listen, my son calls me out when I'm being hypocritical. <laughs> That's what they're there for. But, uh, uh, you know, you want to see them saved. You know, you want to, listen, I'm just being transparent here. I'm not perfect. But there's a saying about Jesus, and I'm going to put my own little spin on it. It says, Jesus never went to the university or the college, yet they called him teacher. He never went to rabbinical school, but they called him rabbi. He never went to med school, but they called him physician. He never owned land, never owned slaves, never owned riches, yet they called him Lord and master. Jesus never obtained a degree in psychology, but he brought peace of mind to all who sought him and still does. Jesus came in the form of a man, but they worshiped him as God. Folks, you can decide what you want to do with that information. I'll leave that with you. It says, Jesus had the tongue of the learned. Remember, as the Son of God, as the Lagos, as the, the mouth of God, as the Word of God, he had all knowable information from the beginning to the end. That's why they couldn't confound him. They couldn't trap him in his words. B, Jesus knew how to speak, right? It, it's one thing to have intelligence, but it's another thing to have wisdom, to know when to say things, to know how to say things. Timing is very important. Did you ever meet somebody who was so educated and they just, they have a hard time with any relationship because there's no wisdom in how they speak. Oh, they have all the facts. And sometimes they bludgeon people with those facts, right? Jesus had all knowable information <laughs> and he knew how to use it to benefit others to lead them to God. Jesus, it says, had a word in season for the weary. The compassion of God to know how to minister to others. We see in the Gospels by Jesus' words how he changed lives. How many times do we read in the Gospels that people would say, no one ever spoke like this. No one ever spoke like this. Even the religious leaders, they, never, they don't speak like he speaks. Right? That's why it's so important to read the Scripture. Old and New Testament, its fulfillment. Verse 4 through 5, it speaks about the Messiah or Christ coming to earth. It speaks about this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. Now, the disciples, if you follow the scripture, you read it, you see the accounts, the disciples would often get excited about the crowds. And they were concerned, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Will I sit on the Lord's right hand? No, you sit on his left hand, I'll sit on his right. They had these arguments about who would be the greatest. And Jesus had to rebuke them and bring them back to reality. 
They were focusing on the crowds were famous. And there's ministries that do that today. All they focus, about, all they, they focus on is the crowds. They're event-driven. This event, that event. But Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught us to have a, how to have an intimate relationship with the Father. He was the example. And what should we be learning about this as we read the Gospels? To see that God wants, he wants to hear from us. Yes, he knows the end from the beginning. Yes, you know what your parents or what your children want before they ask. But when they ask you and they come to you, you know, it's, it, you have a relationship with those kids. Even as a church, sometimes we sit down during the week as staff and this is going on in that event and this place and that place. We could jump on every event and never have time to, to pray. We have to know the wisdom of what to say no to, of what not to have. See what I'm saying? Because the, you know, things in this world can look good, but they're, they're a cloak. And they're designed to get us distracted from the living God. I'm going to tell you something. In Eastern cultures, Satan has his methods. In Western cultures, he has his methods too, but they're different. What does he do, Satan, in Western cultures? Distract, 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 distract. Some of you are probably thinking about all the things you got to do today and Monday and Tuesday. Your week is already lived out and you didn't even get done with Sunday yet. But this is our culture. It's fast. It's even the news. The news, they don't do any investigative journalism. They're just, it's this thing and then we're going to move on to that story and that story and they just bing, bing, bing. They don't take any time. You know, even couples can do that. We can hurry this and hurry that. And before you know it, my kid's 19 years old. I remember holding them in my arms as a baby. How did that happen? Stuff goes fast, right? We need to focus on what's important in life. And Jesus taught us how to do that. I can imagine the disciples going, but there's a crowd gathering. Come, come over here, pray with me. Relax, sit down, you know. Cool your, cool your jets a little bit. Let's, let's, let's pray to the Father. And that's what he did. Now, for those that struggle with this, this is the concept of of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see it in Genesis. We see it in the Old Testament. It's elaborated in, in the New Testament. But the Son of God had come down to the earth. He was still fully God, but took the form of a man. And, and it's a legal thing. And uh, through the line of men, starting with Adam, that's how sin entered the world. Jesus had to come take the form of a man to undo that, right? Because God is the God of justice. He can't just wash everything away there's got to be a punishment for sin. So Christ took that journey and took that punishment for our sins. So that all we have to do is believe in him, that he died on the cross for our sins. And this goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the sacrifices. It goes back to the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat by the high priest. It goes back to the day of atonement. Jesus fulfilled all these images in the Old Testament. So understand that because we're like, wait a minute, Jesus is God. He's praying to the Father Listen, I don't completely understand it, but, um, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are always together. Uh, you can see that when Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, it was the Son who was in the water. The Holy Spirit alighted on him, and the Father said, This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. So you can see Father, Son, Holy... You see all throughout the Scripture. So there's a lot going on, and it takes a while to completely digest it all. So, verse 6. Now, this is interesting. Again, I'm, I'm going to tell you about 700 years before it happened, right? Look up Isaiah. See when it was written. Look at the Septuagint, which is a roughly um, 300, 
uh, 3rd century B.C. translation. It's accepted by all scholars when it comes to uh, manuscripts. So Isaiah was still, even by the uh, latest projections, was still written centuries before Christ came to the earth. And of course, we know it's a 7th century B.C. uh, translation. Um, Jewish scholars will tell you that. But what we find is now we speak about before Rome was even Rome. You know that Rome, the Roman Empire, before that was the Roman Republic. Before it was the Roman Republic, it was the Roman Kingdom. So Rome, that area, went through a lot of different growing pains. As At the time that this was written, Rome was nothing. They couldn't leave Rome and go conquer distant lands. Nobody would have ever believed this. But they trusted God and knew it would come to pass. So he speaks about, uh, he gave his back to those who struck him. This is uh, indicative of the Roman flogging, the beatings that Jesus received before he went to the cross. Now understand, if you understood Roman jurisprudence, they were allowed to beat you uh, mercilessly, and you'd be tied to a pole, and they'd whip, and they'd whip, and the whips had pieces of bone and glass, and your skin would, it just was so painful if you study anatomy and physiology. Uh, and if you would started to confess your crimes, they would lay the whip down lighter and lighter, so they would encourage a confession. But Jesus had nothing to confess. You wonder why he couldn't carry his cross up the hill? Because they whipped him so much and they beat him. Blood was coming out of everywhere. That there's a condition in medicine called hypovolemic shock, where the blood, there's a certain amount of of, of volume that you need in, in your body for the body to continue its physiological functions. So when you lose enough blood through blood loss, you go through what's called hypovolemic shock. He did not in his body have the strength to carry the cross up the hill. Now, could Jesus have gone like this? and levitated it and sent it up before him. Jesus never used his power to, um, to benefit himself. He raised the dead of others. He healed the sick. Um, he used his power to benefit everyone else, but he had to deal with the full weight of the crucifixion. So what are we talking about here? He gave his back to those who struck him. The Romans beat him mercil- mercilessly. It says that they plucked out his beard details that nobody would have even picked up until the first century. It says that they spit on him. And even today, somebody spits on you, that's just a, it's a disgusting exchange of bodily fluids that uh, it's usually happens when someone just hates you. It's a disdain. Now, if you read uh, historians, what did Jesus do that was so bad? All right, let's go with secular historians. What's the worst thing that they say about him? Well, he claimed to be God. Did he steal anything? No. Did he beat anybody up? No. Did he? None of these things. Well, but he, he claimed to be God. But what if he was God? They, and they did this to him because of that? But it was prophesied centuries before it happened. Powerful. Christ came to save us. But he also came to show us the model of our relationship with the Father. And what do we see in the Scripture? We're taught through Jesus' example to seek God. Seek Him. He's given us free will. He's not going to force us. Nobody here is going to be forced. To submit to God's will. Well, He is God. To trust Him. When you trust God, then you want to submit to His will because you want the wisdom of the universe running your life. That's a good thing. And also to obey. Again, hard in our culture. Nobody wants to obey. We're free. We're Americans. 
All right, but this is God we're talking about. We're not talking about submitting yourself to another person. We're talking about God, right? Many who call themselves Christians uh, don't consider God's will in their life, and that's sad. That's sad. They think that maybe coming up to receive Jesus is the, is the finish line. It's actually the starting line. When you come up and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life is just beginning. You are born again of the Spirit. Not only are you now a new, different person in this life, but that what you did and, and your trust in him and your acceptance of his sacrifice for your sins catapults you into a beautiful and blissful eternity. And it's just like the Bible says, right? The Apostle Paul, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Quicker than I could snap my fingers. You die physically, but you, you, people see that you die. But they're not seeing that you just walked into another dimension. Who you are, your essence, what makes you you, you, your uniqueness. This is what we're promised in the scripture. If we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Again, a relationship necessitates that two parties participate. Let me repeat that. A relationship necessitates that two parties participate. So if we really know God then we have to be a participant in that relationship. Amen? Verse 7, continuing on. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So three out of four is the Messiah's help comes from the Father. Who would want to volunteer for what Jesus had to go through? Not that we could if we wanted to. So let's think about this. If you look at Jesus specifically from an objective, uh, not spiritual um, vantage point, number one, he had his personal reputation ruined at a young age. He was lied about. He was killed by the Romans with the help of the religious system for an earthly crime he didn't commit. Then he was punished for spiritual crimes he didn't commit. You know the etymology of the word excruciating? Look up the word excruciating when you go home. It literally means from the cross. You know, again, people, again, are trying to sanitize our culture. There's a war in our culture. It's an undercurrent. Trying to just erase every Judeo-Christian uh, foundation that we have, and I go through these periodically. The word excruciating, which we, a lot of, we use a lot when it comes to pain, comes from, from the cross. So you, when you want to talk about pain, you think about the crucifixion. Look it up. Etymology. Good stuff. Yet Jesus had his face like a flint. What is flint? It's hard, sedimentary, crystal-crystalline, crypto-crystalline form of quartz. It's, very, it's a very hard stone. So to set your face like a flint means to be determined and undeterred. So even the shame that Christ went through on this, on this earth, he knew that the goal was the cross so that we could have everlasting life. So what motivated the Lord was love. He set his face like a flint. He was undeterred. Even his own disciples said to him, in, in, among the popularity, you shall not go to the cross. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You're not, you're not considering the things of God. 
You're just seeing what's going on on the surface. And as Christians, we have to get that too. We can watch the news. We can see what's going on at work. We can, and it, we're only looking at the surface. There's a whole undercurrent of spirituality, of a spiritual realm that's going on around us that we have to tap into. And we can only do it when we uh, have that relationship with God. The Lord God will help me. Jesus experienced three types of suffering. Well, physically, that's an obvious one. We talked about the whippings. We talked about the crucifixion. And uh, when I did my Resurrection Sunday message a few years back, I went through all the nerves of the hand and the arm and the legs and just the, uh, the spikes just piercing those nerves and what type of pain that was like. So he experienced physical trauma. He also experienced emotional trauma. Again, this, it's hard to completely understand, but for the only time in all of eternity, Christ was being uh, crucified and was, was being punished for the sins of humanity that the one time in all of humanity that the Father and the Son had a, had a chasm, had a separation. So he, his friends, when they found that he was being crucified, the disciples, a lot of them fled. Um, when he died for the sins of humanity, the Father for a moment had to look away. Third, spiritual trauma. Spiritual trauma. He was found guilty spiritually of the sin of the world which he did not commit. So let me try to explain this to you. Um, I was, a, again, in my former life, I was a police officer for 25 years. And everybody has a different opinion about this. You know, what's the worst crime? To me, just from what I've experienced and what I've had to deal with, is um, child molestation to me is the, the loathsome of the loathsome. Christ died for those sins too. And I think of myself as a pastor, and I have a good reputation, if I was to be falsely accused of something that I loathe so much, I don't know what I would do. I would lose my mind. <laughs> but Jesus had all those sins, the worst of the worst sins of all of humanity, put on him on the cross. Something had to happen with these sins. Right? You look at the Old Testament, you look at the New, God has to punish sin. So there was a substitution going on, right? And that's why he's trustworthy. Jesus also showed us how to depend on the Father. We go through our lives with technology and biotechnology and, and degrees and all this kind of stuff. Um, and again, the distractions, the, the support that we have in this country, um, do we leave God behind? You know, do we not check with him? Do we not seek his will? And that's why, this, listen, this is what you go to church for, right? To learn these lessons, right? These are important lessons for us to learn. You know, to know God, to actually intimately know him. Also, what we see is that the Bible is very clear. Those around Christ, how they tried to shame him, how they tried to humiliate him. And folks, if we're Christians, we're going to suffer things too. But do we serve God only in the good seasons? Or do we serve him in the tough times too? We're all going to go through tough times. And I'm going to tell you, with this social media, I, I especially feel for the young people. 
because they can have an opinion and then five other people can shout them down and tell them that they're stupid and they're ignorant and all this kind of stuff and they change their opinion. It's, it's kind of creepy if you think about what's going on in our society. And if you truly are a believer in Christ and you express how you feel according to the scripture, you, you might be shouted down by your peers. You might be ostracized on social media. But you know what? Jesus took the shame so that I could be standing here and I could be assured that the moment my heart stops beating, I have, I have eternal fellowship with God. So I'll take the shame of preaching something that might not be popular because I know what he did for me. I can't take a little bit of ribbing, a little bit of ridicule, a little bit of name-calling, something to think about when we really understand what Christ did for us. Last two verses. He says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who, who reverences the Lord? Who respects the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Four, knowing all this, will we trust in God or will we trust in ourselves? Did you ever realize how much of the Messiah you found in the Old Testament? Pretty powerful stuff. So who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of the servant, Christ, as Messiah? The answer is we're wise if we do. And his voice is recorded in Scripture this morning. Who walks in darkness and not in light? Are, are not we all sinners? I know that I am, right? He's especially calling out to those who, who have maybe made a mess of their lives, who have, you know, you hear the expression, they hit rock bottom. Where else to look but up? Then let him or her trust in the name of the Lord and rel- rely upon his God. God is always faithful and God is always trustworthy. Now, 11 is the contrast. Remember, The scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is not politically correct. And we can dance around certain ailments, certain diseases, but if you have a good doctor, a good surgeon, they're going to be honest with you. And they're going to sit you down and say, this could kill you. We have to act now. Or you can have a surgeon who wants to be liked by everybody and goes, well, and they start telling you what you want to hear. And then you're at the point of no return. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. If you apply that spiritually, God has to tell us the truth. Whether it's popular or not, whether it's going to be ridiculed on the media or not. The truth is, there's a contrast here. Now, the Hebrew has what's called colloquialisms. So some of it doesn't completely come out in the English. You kind of go through the, some of the Hebrew translations, right? But a person who lights their own fire encircles themselves with sparks and walks in it. Basically, you're your own God. And there's a lot of people on this earth, there's a lot of people in this area that think that they're their own light, that they're their own God. Good luck with that one. I'm here to tell you the truth because I'm just reading what it says in the scripture. He says, this you shall have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. In the book of Daniel, the last chapter, Old Testament, these are all Old Testament scriptures, speaks about those, some will die and suffer everlasting contempt. He'll say, well, there was no hell in the Old Testament. Oh yeah, there was. You got to read the Bible in its entirety. It's all throughout the scripture. 
The New Testament just is more of a commentary and a fulfillment of what you understood in the Old Testament or had trouble with. So is there any old way to get to heaven? Well, not if you're following the New Testament and certainly not if you're following the Old Testament. Not if you're following Isaiah. I'll leave you with this. I'll say it again. Jesus never went to a university, yet they called him teacher. He never went to rabbinical school, yet they called him rabbi. He never went to med school, but they called him physician. He never owned slaves or land or riches, yet they called him Lord and Master. Jesus never obtained a degree in psychology, but he brought peace of mind to all who sought him and today those who still seek him. Jesus came in the form of a man, but they worshiped him as God. I'll let you decide how to respond with that information on Jesus Christ. The Lord is good. The Lord is trustworthy. He sent his Messiah to die for our sins so that we could trust his sacrifice on the cross in fulfillment of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. And he is the one you can put your trust in today. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.